I spoke with Dan Tapiero almost exactly a year ago, and he talked about the crypto space 30xing. Now that was from an original 300 billion going all the way up to 10 trillion. His belief that it could have a market cap or total value of 10 trillion is so fundamental in his mind that he'd named his company Fund 10T. Well, now he thinks that maybe 10 trillion is a bit too bearish. We talked about everything under the sun. One of my favorite guests to talk to. You guys really don't want to miss this one. That's dope. I guess the most important question on everyone's mind right now is, do you trust your bank? Okay. So we're starting? <laughs> that, that, we trust your, your bank? Cue. Look, yeah. I think, um, look, um, you know, as you know, I have a sort of this deep macro background and I was 25 years in the macro hedge fund business and, you know, banking crises all over all around the world uh, is something that, you know, we always were involved with one way or the other. Um, as far as banking crises go, I mean, this is uh, not that severe just yet. Um, Credit Suisse, if you look at a price chart has been going down for literally, I mean, 10 years, it was, I think it was zeroed out in most equity investors' minds many, many years ago. So, you know, regarding the US, I mean, look, it sort of reminded me a little bit of 1994 when Orange County took a wrong bet and um, got blown out. And, um, you know, I, I think that was a very clear, like, portfolio mismanagement situation. And this is what we had. I mean, I don't know how the, the Fed, I'm sure they were aware, but I don't know how they could possibly not be aware that you would have um, a, a whole group of not just banks, but insurance companies, pension funds, et cetera, um, not get caught in a long duration bet. And again, most of those entities don't have to liquidate. There's no forced uh, liquidation. So um, in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, uh, they were forced to liquidate. And why they bought the 10-year when you know, the three month was pretty much the same thing in terms of yield. It's just poor, you know, poor money management. Um, but you know what? I don't know how the Fed or anyone else expects um, local banks out in the middle of the country to act as hedge fund managers, you know, and to act as, um, you know, to be so right on their interest rate forecast. I mean, it's very difficult. And so in a way, they were acting like a hedge fund. And that's pretty darn irresponsible for what I would call, as, you know, like a, a not a local bank, but like a a, a non trading focused bank, right? I, right. I, I giggle because you said obviously you don't know how they can be expected to behave like a hedge fund. The Fed also has no idea where interest rates are going to be. <laughs> I mean, you said that these small banks, uh, it's hard for them to predict and make these bets. You could ar also argue that the Fed dot plot is, uh, you know, miserably mismanaged, generally uh -oh. wrong, and they also miss. Yeah, that's a whole separate point. I mean, I um, I think the peak in the rate cycle has happened. Sure. Um, I think growth and inflation are going to be lower every quarter into the end of the year. And I think it's likely I was a little early in this call. I was on Twitter talking about this probably in May and June last year at the very peak. Um, 
I just think uh, inflation will likely, CPI will likely be below four, I think by the end of the year. And I, that's what's really, to me, gonna be a big boost for assets is that what is the surprise? The surprise is that um, they've over-tightened and obviously there's so many signs of it. It's like, I don't know, Scott, what you think, but it's pretty much the most obvious cycle that I've seen at least in 30 years, right? But, I mean, But the Fed continued to hike. Right. I they mean, the most recent reason, they, they, yeah, they, they continued to hike and solely because seemingly, I, I don't know, I, I know that uh, Powell is smart and I know that all the Fed governors are intelligent people. I don't doubt that. But it seems like they only look at CPI and nothing else matters. And every leading or forward looking indicator says that inflation's already crashing. If you look at commodities, basically everything. And they seem to be working on lagging indicators of hikes that they did six months ago, waiting to see, you know, them come to fruition. It just seems like they're completely incompetent, even though I know they are intelligent. Yeah, it's a very, it's definitely a weird one because they even know that policy works with the lag. I mean, that used to be part of their mantra. So, but they made a mistake in not starting the tightening soon enough, right? I mean, we've all heard this story a million times and then they overcompensated at the peak and, you know, they completely turned and got very aggressive really at the peak of the CPI. So, um, yeah, I've never seen a central bank make its policy on the two most lagging indicators, CPI and unemployment rate. Um, but the yield curve uh, is super inverted and I think, you know, tells us what the market is saying. And the Fed is aware of what the market is saying. So, you know, look, they only have that very short interest rate, the overnight Fed funds to try to manage an entire cycle, not just the US, but really also the global cycle. Uh, I mean, I have some sympathy, but not really, um, because it's pretty obvious things are gonna downshift pretty hard over the next I six to nine months, and we're seeing it already. Um, so I don't really understand why you need to make sure that people get fired to manage a liquidity cycle, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I, they could break everything in their path, but if they don't break employment, they don't care. Right. It's it's strange. Take down every like bank out there. I mean, there would have been, if they hadn't come in, th there would have been a massive run and there would have been a lot of bank failures. And, you know, they just came in and, and backstopped the whole thing. And uh, I don't know, in my mind, that was it. That every every crisis like that is always the end of a tightening cycle so i don't see any more tightening i think that you're going to get a massively inverted yield curve uh you know maybe i mean i see 10 years down probably certainly below three percent this year maybe mm -hmm. down to like two and a half etc regardless of what they do with uh the fed funds rate i agree 100 percent you mentioned maybe the most important point, which is if the Fed or if the FDIC, if the government's treasury had not stepped in and backstopped everything, we would have had a massive run on banks and would have had a massive bank failure. But to do that, they effectively violated <laughs> decades or hundreds of years of central bank policy. Uh, you know, every sort of policy they had put in place after the last financial crisis, it seemed like overnight, they just decided all that was out the window and this is what they were going to do. So the question then becomes, are we, did they solve it or is it temporary? If I get that they can backstop two banks, three banks, five banks, 10 banks, 
if we see another trigger for a bank run, can they backstop 20 banks, 30 banks, yeah, 50 I mean, banks? I, I sort of think that they kind of have. I mean, they've basically they probably said, quietly are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it, it, it feels to me like, you know, that's what they've done is, you know, they've backstopped all the deposits in the system somehow. Um, and one would think that if that's the case, that you've increased the supply of liquidity dramatically and potential liquidity, right? And potential liquidity, to me, it should it, it's obvious fodder for a bear market in the dollar. And, um, you know, I think the the low, the high in the dollar has happened. And I think we're going to have a nice little bear phase here. Um, and it's it's playing out. It's playing out because, um, again, I said potential liquidity uh, addition. So if we have more bank um, failures, there'll be more. And that probably pushes the dollar down a little more, you know, probably, you know, pushes down the rates in the back end. Um, and I think pushes up equity. I think we're going to have a very strong year in the equity market this year. Um, I agree. It's it's a wall of worry type thing. People say, well, how can the equity market go up um, before the, the recession is even hit, before growth and inflation have even dropped? And it's because liquidity is the powerful arbiter here. When you look at the stock market versus money supply on, you know, on a very long-term chart, it's basically not gone anywhere, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. right? Isn't but that it? Yeah, it is. So it begs the question then, would you consider what's happening the backstops this form of liquidity as QE? Yeah. I mean, I absolutely, it's QE. They don't have to call it that. Um, well, they'll, they'll never call it that. And a lot of yeah. pundits refuse to call it that. And uh, I keep saying QE infinity and I get, uh, you know, shots from every side, it seems. Yeah, I, I don't know, pretty clear. Uh, you know, maybe maybe they're hesitant only because it's, um, it's the backstop is liquidity, extra liquidity today, but also potential uh, liquidity to backstop things in the future. Which in a way is almost more powerful to me, yeah. Um, because it's the, you know, it they really have taken away, you know, the downside possibility for, you know, banks that make mistakes. I mean, like my goodness, if I were in a mistake where in a business where I didn't get penalized for my mistakes, I mean, that's the greatest business in the world, right? I mean, aren't they going to push banks further down the risk curve? I mean, you talked about the fact that they effectively have to behave like hedge funds. And I would argue that the Fed has forced that behavior by Dodd-Frank and the policy of what they are and are not allowed to hold. But doesn't that now mean YOLO, right? The yeah, bank can do whatever I mean, they want. They're going to be backstopped. I mean, they probably, you know, they probably add some, uh, another regulatory uh, yeah. layer. So, it's it's theoretically YOLO if the regulator is is napping. Um, but what I would say also is, and this is interesting, plays into Bitcoin and crypto a little bit, which is that you sort of degrade the quality of those businesses, those banks as businesses. And investors, you know, I, I think potentially start to move away from wanting to own equity in those companies because they're not quasi, I would say quasi-nationalized, but they become 
sort of non-corporate, non-capitalist entities. And it's very possible that instead of YOLO, they clamp down because they're backstopped by the government. And then all of a sudden, their ability to make return completely collapses. And so True. when we always talk about like, oh, the TradFi banking system is going to go away and the what I call the digital asset ecosystem, which is everything in the new world, you know, it's just going to replace it. I never saw it that way. I always saw it sort of as a merging of the two. But you can envision a world now where because the TradFi banking system is, let's say, impaired from the money-making process, that people do move in to the digital asset ecosystem, right? That, and I mean, investors, like they, they, they start to see that there are great businesses in the space. There are ways to make money in, I mean, I wouldn't call it new banking, but just in, you know, in our new world, right? And when we saw the banking collapse, we saw Bitcoin rise. Right. Exactly. It was effectively in between 19,000, 20,000. Now, some will argue it didn't rise until the Fed <laughs> announced the backstop and we knew that there was going to be liquidity. And once again, liquidity trumps all. And Bitcoin certainly has followed liquidity in the past as well. But it shot up to effectively just south of $30,000 in that week after. What do you make of that move? Right. I've asked a few people this. I asked Michael Saylor this on Spaces. He curiously, I would have expected him as sort of a Bitcoin maximalist to say it's all happening. But what he said was, I think that a bunch of people in crypto moved into Bitcoin, right? They moved out of their altcoins, they moved into Bitcoin, but I don't see a mainstream push yet into Bitcoin. Do you think that that was real yeah. adoption? Holy crap, banks are yeah, collapsing. I need to I buy do. Bitcoin. I, I do because, um, also, remember, Ethereum also rallied. And so I, I I sort of see Bitcoin and Ethereum as together as very high quality collateral that can't be debased. And we right. know actually now Ethereum has a, a burn schedule. So supply is being reduced. But let's put that to the side. I mean, Bitcoin and Ethereum, even more perfectly than equity, right, because the supply is limited, Um you know, respond to these shifts in liquidity. But you also had some of the, you know, what I call venture projects or the other protocols also improve in price, like the whole space improved in price. And so um, I don't think it was, um, you know, I, I there was obviously some, um, uh, Sailor, I think is right in, in saying so, some of the money into Bitcoin came from within the ecosystem. But I think a lot of it also came from without, um, from from outside of um, the ecosystem, just because, you know, it does act a little bit like gold. You know, Bitcoin and gold do have sort of a trading market connection. You know, I know Sailor watches the markets, but, you know, he's a technologist. He comes from, you know, the tech background and maybe doesn't watch the correlations and the way the market is trading as much as um, other people, I mean, certainly me. And you, you see Bitcoin trading with gold and liquidity and two-year and ten-year notes and you know Nasdaq. I mean, it, it doesn't always, and it certainly outperform absolutely every single thing because even the Nasdaq, you know, any of those companies can increase the supply of their stock. You know, almost you know not whenever they want, but they can. 
and Bitcoin and Ethereum to a greater, a great degree cannot. And so I thought, and I was doing investor meetings during this time and people were um, like really excited that this was the, the, the use case, the Bitcoin use case or the high quality collateral use case was being proven out. Like everyone who was an owner wanted to see this action on this banking mess. And I'll tell you, about time. <laughs> and you got it. Like we got it. I mean, it's up what, 50 to 60, 70%? I it's almost 70% on the year. Yeah. Depending yeah, I mean, on the day. It's right. It just, so it, you know, all these people complaining, Bitcoin doesn't respond to this or that. It's not a hedge. It's not whatever it is. It did exactly as it was supposed to do. And um, I, look, I think the low for the space came in, you know, on the FTX collapse. The 100%. Fraud, very obvious to me that, you know, when Ethereum couldn't make a new low on the announcement of the FTX. It didn't fraud, even come close. And, and yeah, no, I mean, and, yeah, it, did, yeah, it, it was close. a few hundred dollars above. Yeah. And, and uh, Bitcoin yeah. made a sharp move lower and then came back. And, you know, we know from the traditional markets that that's just a bullish divergence when you get the worst possible news you could ever imagine. And I think that was certainly the most surprising for, you know, 95% of the people in the space that if the price of the most liquid asset can't even go down, I mean, that is clear that the selling is just finished. And so I actually was very aggressive in our fund three, and I put um, over $100 million to work in seven different companies in the space, crypto blockchain businesses in the space in that October to December period, because, you know, again, I'm probably one of the few private equity guys out there that actually feels like I need to time the cycle. Most pr right. private equity guys, they want to invest throughout the cycle because they don't know when there's a low. I'm pretty darn sure that was it. Um, I, I, I argued over and over again that last summer was the low and then Sam got me. But I, I believe that even if you look at the uh, Bitcoin halving cycle, the four-year cycle, that summer low when Bitcoin then sort of just had a boring, choppy, sideways summer, I think that 17-ish would have been the low. Sam gave us a better entry, obviously. Yeah. But the very fact, as you mentioned, that that entire FTX drop was retraced by January. We were back at 21,000. In two months, when FTX was apparently going to, you know, torpedo well, then, the entire industry. Yeah, and then Genesis uh, as well, DCG's Genesis. People were <laughs> no saying, move on that. Oh, I can't buy because what if that Genesis goes bankrupt? Anyway, they announced bankruptcy. I think they did, right? They yeah. announced oh, bankruptcy, yeah. and on that day, price it went exploded. up. Remember that? <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's the wall of worry, right? I mean, when bad news ceases to be bad news, um, I think that that's a very clear indication that the bottom is likely in. And to your point, at 20, you know, 28, 30, 26, wherever we are when this podcast comes out, pretty hard to imagine there being enough supply even left to tank price back to the lows. I mean, yeah, what would it take for price to drop 50%? The U.S. government is selling Silk Road Bitcoins 10,000 at a time, and the market didn't even react or know. I agree. <laughs> I mean, it's from a trader, like if you would ask like a trader's perspective on this, you would say it's trading really well. Right. I mean, it's trading really well. It doesn't like, so even overnight, 
we had, you know, the Saudis increase oil output and everyone's like, oh, oil's exploding up now. And now inflation is going to go up and the, you know, the stock market, they're selling NASDAQ. And so they'd sold some Bitcoin or some, you know, overnight and then it popped right back. Like, I mean, these very small, like little trading things um, are all, I mean, are all showing that it's trading really well. And I, again, I don't focus too much on this. But I'm aware of it because, um, you know, you like to get confirmation, right? Your confirmation that the low is in, right? They're trying to sell it and um, it holds very well. So you, you actually, uh, you retweeted somebody just a few days ago who said that the, when the S&P gains over 7% in Q1, 16 out of 16 times in history, the full year finishes green and up 23% on average. So I know that uh, yeah. this time is different is a very tempting thing to say, but we did it. So we would have to be 16 out of 17 for us not to end this year green, even on stocks. Yeah, I think, you know, I that guy does tremendous uh, work. And some people in the comments were saying, oh, uh, you know, he, he tweaked the data, this, that, the other thing. Look, it's close enough for government work, as they used to say. I <laughs> I really think um, that stat is just incredible. I mean, I I think there's a very high, you know, degree of probability that we end up nicely this year. And it is a, it's it's one of the most classic wall of worry years that I've seen. Um, and I would connect that to, crypto and Bitcoin too, because um, I keep getting, and I, it's just relentless, this FUD about how the US regulatory authorities are going to shut it down and there are no fiat on ramps and, you know, it's a choke point, this and that. And I'm just like, guys, the thing is trading like it's bulletproof. I mean, we've been hearing I've been hearing this FUD stuff. I mean, it's five years uh, that it was going to get banned and this and that. Then China banned it. And now um, China's it back. had no impact. Now China's back. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. and now they're back through Hong Kong. And so I don't, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's human nature just wants to find, you know, the, the weak spot or the focus on the one negative thing. But I, I don't know. It looks... It, it, it looks like if you could get CPI, you know, down below five in the next six months, I mean, I, I hate to, but I mean, Bitcoin could be at 40,000. I mean, oh, I, I think I, so. I, I think I so. don't want to trade it like that. I don't want to talk like that. But I mean, honestly, it just it's just this inflation premium thing that's got people a little worried. You know, that, I mean, that it's how many times in your how many times in your career in crypto have you? Heard the overconcern about a China ban, an India ban, ESG energy narrative, or hey, even recently, Mt. Gox creditors getting their Bitcoin back and dumping it on the market. None of these things ever happened, and we repeat them every single time. Now, China did ban crypto, but I'm yeah, saying no, maybe none of happening. them, none of them end the market in the way that people seem to expect. Yeah, maybe they're happening, but just the market's absorbing the news incredibly well. This is one thing. You know, there's so many people in the space who were who've not been portfolio managers, who've not been traders. You know, I mean, I'm looking at price action for 25 years, 
you know when things are trading well, when they're trading poorly. How is that defined? You know, it's a little bit nebulous, but it's very easy. If, if, if a lot of negative news is coming out and the market's not going down, that's trading well. And, you know, that tells you that this is an early bull phase. And again, I think we could go sideways a little bit this year, you know. Yeah, I agree. But I think in the second half, 24, which is post that having, and into 25, we're making new highs. And I would suspect well over 100,000 um, on, on Bitcoin. And, you know, yeah, I don't well think that's a very aggressive call either. Uh, I, I think, you know. yeah, I, I think the exact same thing. I've said a few times, if you just look at a Bitcoin, you know, monthly chart historically or a weekly chart and just draw the halvings and the bottoms on it, you could have literally fallen asleep, asleep or been hit on the head by a rock and missed everything happening in the world and turn on price action right now and say, oh, we're just right in the perfect spot of the cycle. Yeah. We'll have the halving in May, we'll chop until then, six months after the halving, we'll blast off. Right. Right. I mean, I think I think that's right. But look, it's it's hard to do it like we, we're talking about it sort of in a casual way, but it's hard to hold for the long term. It's hard to ignore all the zigs and zags and all the news and all the FUD. And like Twitter today or yesterday was all about Elizabeth Warren saying something on Bitcoin. I mean, I don't know who is possibly more irrelevant than Elizabeth Warren, except for she's never passed a bill. Frank. People wheeled out Barney Frank a few weeks ago. And I'm thinking, Barney Frank for this choke this, choke that. It's all just FUD, right? So do you think that there's any truth then to a coordinated effort to cut it off? I mean, it is a bit suspect that effectively Silvergate, Silicon Valley, and Signature were the three banks that were primarily servicing the crypto industry. And they're the three that and Signature Bank right. was quietly closed on a Sunday. I, mean, look, I guess it's possible, but I mean. I look at the market and the market's response. And yeah. you know what? I look at um, the value of the, the the dollar value that's within the entire, I call it again, digital asset ecosystem. So the value of all the cryptocurrency that exists is 1.1 trillion. And the value of all the equity, roughly the businesses in the space is let's call it, you know, five, 600 billion. So you're looking now at a space that has $1.7 trillion of total value in it, okay? Um, and it was $300 billion in the middle of 19. So here we are four years later, we're up almost six times. Think about how much stuff was thrown at this space, okay? There in the last year, but, you know, over that period, all that negativity, all of that Again, I'm a you know long-term macro guy. I sit back, I look at the big numbers, and you know, one point yes, at the high, that number was 3.5 trillion like a year ago, but we're 1.7 trillion dollars between the money that's involved in like NFTs and DeFi and stable coins, um, you know, in you know, the even the layer twos on Bitcoin. You know, our, our people are getting excited Ish. about and yeah. we've got lightning and now ordinals and there are all these different new things popping up and these use cases. I mean, I read the other day, I don't know if you saw this, um, the state of California is going to put your license and your car deed title on the Tezos blockchain. 
Now, I don't know why <laughs> I they chose specifically Tezos, but um, I mean, look, that's pretty mind-boggling that a non-corporate, non like clearly not not an economic agent, right, is embedding a blockchain into its, in quotes, business model, yeah. right? I mean, Starbucks, right? Starbucks, I mean, Starbucks rewards programs. Like, it's all very quiet, but like we can ignore the price of coins and whether they need them or not, but the technology is unstoppable. Yeah, I and what the, the traditional world is now really... You know, I think leaning into it, you mentioned, um, you know, you mentioned Starbucks, but even like the big guys, Google, Apple, and then you have all these like interesting NFT use cases. And I know the Bitcoin guys think it's a big waste or whatever it is. But the, the reality is, is that it's being integrated in one form or another. These companies are realizing they can build community. They can reach their clients better. They can build that relationship um through uh nft drops and ownership and and have a tighter connection with their with their um uh consumer and so the car companies have done a bunch of things with it um i i just it's not like 18 and 19 where i felt like in 18 and 19 it was hangover from the ico so people ripped people off which is a terrible thing um, you know, bad actors in the space getting involved with all these ICOs. They plugged all of these retail people. And it was just then about the price of the crypt of those coins, right? But today it's like you still have what um the 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 dollar value settled with stable coins is I think eight trillion dollars last year. You know the number of ad the monthly active addresses on for layer one blockchains just hit an all time high. If you're looking at you know Avalanche and Solana Polygon, ETH, um, you know Binance Coin, that's an all time high. That's usage, right? So in eighteen nineteen, if you remember Q four eighteen Q one nineteen, like it was it was like diabolical. People were you know you know they were on the ledge. And today, and then I got this other stat here: number of developers that have joined, or joined, have uh, you know now work in the blockchain ecosystem, all-time high in 22. So the price went down 70, 80 percent, but the activity and interest in the space overall is at an all-time high. So why isn't the Financial Times, the Journal, the New York? Why don't they report about all this activity? All they're doing is a you know, they report about Sam Bankman-Fried stuff or they report about, you know, all the regulatory stuff. It's just incredible. And hash the rate US continues to make all, yeah, hash rate makes all-time high after all-time yeah. high after all-time high after all-time high. So you said uh, big numbers. Speaking of a big number, you threw out 100 million and said that you were able to deploy that between October and December of last year in the midst of the FTX collapse. That's a pretty big number in the crypto space especially when uh you know most of these companies have uh, relatively small market caps it's hard for investors to get their money in well, so what are you excited about and what are you actually investing in and what were you investing yeah. in sort of at the depths there yeah well i mean i would say um they actually don't have as small a market cap as you think even if they're discounted from the low and i always pull out this stat in the middle of 2019 
There were only 14 companies in the world in the crypto blockchain space that had a valuation of over a billion dollars. Oh, and, and that, today, that, yeah. that's 14. And today, yeah. based on my account, there are over 100. And at the peak, there were 150. So if you look at, and we have a universe, this is my fun 10T, but our the new iteration is called 1RT, One Roundtable Partners. Um, our assessment is that there are 223 companies with a valuation of over $100 million. So easy to get $100 private. million in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I think it's five to $700 billion of total value now in the space. And, you know, we led uh, one round for QuickNode, which is uh, API and node infrastructure. They're basically the only competitor for Alchemy. We led that and invested. Um, actually, it's going to be close to 50 million there. We also invested in the secondary. We're very active in the secondary. And there were some companies. And again, I'm not uh, I'm not supposed to mention them for some reason, but there were companies <laughs> that we were, I mean, my you know, our, our legal teams like Dan, no, I know how it works. Mention, you know, whatever it is, but I will tell you, we bought four different businesses at between 40 to 80% discounts from the previous round. So the, the, and these are businesses that we like that have been on our radar for a while. And there were people selling in the secondary who either wanted cash, needed cash, were in for a long time and wanted out. So we were able to you know, procure these blocks. We're very active in, in the secondary market. And so we bought from another fund, we bought from a seed investor. Um, you know, it's it's that kind of thing. Um, and people come to us because look, we've deployed $1.2 billion in the last two years, and we mm. now purchased 26 different businesses. And so um, you know, and you can see them on our website, on the 10T website, what they are. And I think like that's the story. The story is that this is a thriving, growing ecosystem. And yes, there are some bad guys out there. We passed on over 100 companies last year. Thankfully, we passed on FTX and we passed on, um, you know, BlockFi and Celsius, thank goodness, and some of these super high valuation companies. But right now, um, it's never been, this is why we're raising another fund right now, because it, the, the opportunity set has never been as big, uh, and the valuations as reasonable because a lot of, also a lot of the sort of traditional private equity guys that came into the space last year and the year before they've now moved out. And so as far as I know, we're still the only growth equity fund in the world that exclusively focuses on crypto and blockchain businesses. So I think now uh, is a great time, um, you know, to buy. And it does correlate a little bit with Bitcoin and Ethereum prices. But look, we have investors that legally aren't allowed to own cryptocurrency. So right. for them, we're a great exposure. You know, the businesses that are a little more developed. It's not venture. You know, I don't think we have as much upside as like a venture, um, you know, investment would. But nothing you're but, investing in is going to zero either. Right. <laughs> nothing we have. Well, actually, we had one out of the 26, unfortunately, that we think is impaired. Um, but that's not the end of the world. It was only two and a half percent of the total uh, assets. I'm going to make a mistake every once in a while. But um, 
it's I'm still shocked that we're the only guys out there um, investing in this space. I think it'll change. Um, but so we kind of had our pick in that October, December period. And we put, you know, as I said, we put over a hundred million to work and that was the end of our third fund. So, yeah, anyway. I mean, I'm looking at your, your investments yeah. fund one and two crack and Etoro, Hobie, Gemini. I mean, these are the biggest names in the bit, bit Fury, Ledger, Prime Trust, Darabit, Animoca, Yuga Labs. I mean, Right. You've got the big ones. I see Babel there. I'm assuming that might be the yes, one. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> Thanks for You kept it on the site. <laughs> yeah, I made a mistake there. Um, I'm like, FTX, Celsius, what? No, I'm just no, kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Funny. But, so that said, as we continue through this sort of, I guess, down cycle with these down rounds, what's exciting you about what's still being built? I mean, it's very clear that you have a picks and shovels approach. You're invested yeah. heavily here in the infrastructure. And that's where those investors you talked about who probably can't get exposure anyways, where they want to be, right? I mean, yeah. you know, there's so much going on. I, I love, for instance, I love the stable pine business. You know, oh. I think that Tether you know, made seven hundred million dollars this quarter. What's that? Tether made seven hundred million dollars in the first first quarter. Yay, yeah, interest I, rates. And I think Circle, I think Circle did giant numbers as well, and they did huge numbers last year. And I mean, that's a company that's really run by first rate CEO. He's pivoted a few times in his career. Um, I mentioned before how much. You know, was settled in stable coins this year. I mean, it's trillions of dollars. Um, and basically, there's only one player. I mean, Tether is hard for a guy like me to invest in. Of course. Um, but Circle, I think, is a phenomenal business. And I only see that, you know, that business exploding. And really, honestly, there should be more than one stable coin provider legitimate in the entire world. And I suspect within the next sort of five years, You'll see others, and you know one of the things we're doing in the new fund um, is we're we're going to be focused on um, help. I mean, helping shepherd some of our companies towards realizations, um, either you know M and A or IPOs. And I just put this one thought in your head: like, there's one large crypto, you know, blockchain business in the world that is public. That's it. It's Coinbase. There's yeah. one. In five years from now, okay, there is zero chance, literally zero, that there's only going to be one. And I think there are going to be tons of them. And right now, this mid-stage, again, you have a huge number of people in the venture with, you know, Andreessen and Polychain and Paradigm and all these guys, Pantera, um, all in the early stage. But I think for at least for us, like it's not really a competitive environment in this in this mid stage. And look, five years ago, there were only or not even four years ago, there were only 14 companies that were over a billion in valuation. And now there are over a hundred. Like at some point, you get, and this goes back to your point before, you get adoption happening as people are able to buy equity in businesses that are producing revenue. And I think that, you know, revenue for in the VC space is maybe a bit of a novel concept, but <laughs> I, I, the space that the space that we're in really sits somewhere 
between PE and VC, right? Like, because the PE guys, I think, think of all anything touching crypto as VC. But in reality, that's not that's not really true. There are some really solid businesses here. And we have, last thing I would say is we have five or six businesses that actually made more money in 22 than in 21. So you I bet Ledger's imagine. one of them. What's is that? Ledger, is Ledger one of them? Because Ledger we saw this. Is, Ledger, Ledger is flat to up. I would say you have to, if you look at the curve. Oh, the, well, the, the, the prop, right. Yeah. I was going to say the move towards self-custody that I think we've seen sort of happening was post FTX. So it would have had to have happened at the very end of the year. So yeah, I would be, I'd be surprised if they're yeah, massively but, up. How excited are you about their new wallet? Oh my goodness. I, you know, I, uh, that was one of the original reasons we invested in um, April, May of 21 was because they had this, this prototype built. And I thought, that's the coolest thing ever. Are we going to actually yeah, get awesome. that? And we are, you know, I just, I wish there were more guys out there who could help us produce them. Um, because I think the entire, they pre-sold their max amount that <laughs> could be pre-sold. Like they're, so, you know, I, I, I'm just hoping that we can find um, a producer out there who can get us to the, you know, to have, to have more capacity for us because um, like, I think demand is off the charts and look, it's going to be sort of the wallet that we all kind of wanted like on our phone and have a lot of flexibility, have that screen. Um, So I'm just thrilled. And they looks awesome. Yeah. Did you pre-order one? I, I didn't pre-order one because I'm a moron, but uh, okay. I, I will I will be on the uh, next list for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of saw the news and I was like, it looks amazing. And then I realized that you couldn't get them anymore, right? I, but I'll find a way, don't worry. I know some, <laughs> I know, I know some people, um, but I, I will definitely get my hands on one. Is there anything in this wall of worry, anything with the regulation, anything with the banks that's concerning to you to any great degree? Well, you know, I, I think always, it's easy to be dismissive of it, but I mean, there is really yeah. a major pushback against our industry. I, I know, I know. I mean, look, I would say, yeah, there's always something out there, I guess, but I'm not as interested in what's actually out there. I'm more interested in what the impact is of what's out there will be on the market. So I'm a market guy. I'm not like a journalist. I'm not like a statistician or a historian. I'm not any of that. I'm a market guy. And so I only care about a fundamental piece of news if I think it's going to impact the market. Long term. Well, I, yeah, I mean, long term. I mean, let's just say for the course of the year. Yeah. um, I don't think there's any piece of news that I could envision that will not have Bitcoin and Ethereum closing higher in price by the end of the year than it is today. Anything like I, by the end I, of the year. Now that doesn't I tend to agree, but down. people are obviously terrified about the Wells notice to Coinbase. In a worst case scenario, if Coinbase, you know, could only offer Bitcoin like going in Ethereum or, or something like that. And obviously the CFTC's action against CZ, but People need to remember so that a the Coinbase, Coinbase hasn't actually been charged with anything, and CZ's right. court right now is completely civil. I mean, the Binance case right now is it's civil for now. I mean, they have been going 
after CZ for so long. I mean, that's almost <laughs> as old as Tether FUD, or uh, <laughs> it's almost as old. It's not quite as old as oh, when the Matt Gox, you know, the Matt Gox become available, right? It's my favorite. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, I I I'm not dismissive just because I'm bullish. I'm dismissive because I see how the market has reacted, right? I've seen the price action. Look, there is no piece of information or data that we're going to get that will be more shocking than Sam Bankman-Fried going from $20 billion worth and the 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 like the wonderkind of the entire space to being fraud and bankrupt in this period of a month. We, we're not going to get anything worse than that, okay? And I and even that when that happened, it, Ethereum couldn't make a new low in price. And look, Coinbase. Let's just talk about that for just one second. The market cap of Coinbase is around fifteen billion dollars. Okay, the space swings around more than fifteen billion dollars in a day. So again, I look at this broader metric, this digital asset ecosystem value, sitting at one point seven trillion dollars. 15 billion. If Coinbase went to zero tomorrow, I, it's unfortunate. I don't expect that in any way, shape, or form. But that's 15 billion dollars. Like, so what? Like, yeah. it's not. It's. I had the same response. I was speaking at London 2049 after the SBF fraud the day the day after, and I said, "Listen, what's the total value that could be lost here? 10 billion? 15 billion?" And it's going to be less than that. I'm like, look at how big the space is. This isn't just about, you know, uh, one story. There are literally hundreds of stories um, in the space now. I mean, as I said, if you've got the California DMV engaged with it, just imagine all of the economic actors, all of the corporate people. This is... You know, every every luxury brand is talking about what their you know NFT and metaverse strategy should be. You know, every you know every payments business is thinking about it. I was just in Australia; the largest banks there are thinking about you know how to um, you know they're really thinking a lot about like tokenizing assets, which is another yeah. thing that hasn't even started, which we all know is you know at some point is going to take off. And one of our companies figure is very focused on that. So, I mean, this is just a whole, again, I call it this digital asset ecosystem because I I need like a phrase to describe something so big, right? And again, it is really, this is the digitization of value is what, yep. we're, what we're living through. So you're telling me that Elizabeth Warren doesn't think Bitcoin is important that's going to stop the digitization of value. I mean, it's a joke, right? I, I, but it so is a joke. But what's sad to I mean, I was shaking my head as you were talking because what's sad to me is that that's so obvious to anyone who actually takes five minutes to dig into this and understand it. But as a result of that attitude, our country, the United States, that's always been ahead oh. on technology and entrepreneurship Terrible. and has been a leader, we are going to be woefully behind in this industry oh, yeah. for years to come. Because right now, nobody is going right. to try no to innovate advocate. here because there's so anything that's being built that's going to be important for the next five years is being built somewhere else. Yeah, I, I think it is unfortunate. 
Um, I don't count the U.S. out. You know, we we sort of live on two-year cycles, and uh, you know, things could change if we get a 45-year-old president. Frankly, on either side, um, I, I this is age-oriented. <laughs> it's very hard. You know, we've got 80-year-olds running the country, and you know, they don't have a particularly long-term view. Uh, they're not particularly <laughs> tech-savvy. Um, you know, you go there are places around the world where um, they are super enthusiastic. And actually, you know, I was in um, Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Those places are are making a very strong attempt to encourage crypto blockchain businesses starting up there. And there are all sorts of incentives. They think it's the future. They see it. Singapore is another hub. Um, you have Zug in Switzerland, which is also another hub. Um, so there are people, uh, Australia, I think, is super advanced um, in their understanding. So other people around the world who are smart, um, I've got some investors who are really top of the line investors. They get it. Um, you know, it's it's just the U.S. legislators uh, for the moment haven't done enough work. And the New York Times and the Post and the FT the Journal, they're not helping either because those guys are sticking to a very traditional, um, you know, uh, you know, very traditional outlook. Uh, and I look, put it this way. I, I think for us, I mean, selfishly, we need all those people not to get it for us to benefit. The minute, the minute everyone gets it, the opportunity, I wouldn't say is gone, but is reduced. Um, but I think it's so early still for this opportunity. I saw some stat the other day, only 4% of the world have digital wallets, right? And that's equivalent to, in terms of like the adoption of the internet, 4% of the world had internet access in 1998. Right. So basically, you know, it's still early and we're nowhere near any sort of massive wholesale adoption. And just look at how much stuff is going on underneath the hood, all that stuff that I mentioned before, right? Yeah, I think I was looking it up. We spoke a year ago and you said the space will 30x, I believe, right? And I think at that time, Bitcoin was probably $30,000, $40,000, right? Yeah, I think so. You so, think we still got a 30x in us from here? You think we're yeah, looking at well, like no, a 35, 40? <laughs> no, the, the, um, the, 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 the view that I've held since the founding of the fund was that the, the the value in the space, which in the middle of 19 was 300 billion, was going to 30X and get to 10 trillion. And that's why I called the first three funds, they were called 10T, that stood for 10 trillion. So I put my view of the growth in the space in the name of, of that fund. And so that was the 30X that I was referring to. A 10 trillion value on the digital asset ecosystem, based on my the way I'm looking at it, puts Bitcoin between 300 and 500,000, which has kind of been where I think it's going to end up. I thought that in 19, I think that now, and again, markets get to where they are going to get to on their own like program, on their own time and plan. And there's just, you know, I think that 10 trillion 
uh, is probably a little too conservative right now. We're, I agree. We're at one and a half. I was going to say, why so low? <laughs> I know. Well, we're one and a half today. And a year ago, we were three and a half. So I, you know, I, I think we'll in 10 years, we'll be over 10 T. Um, but again, you know, you don't want to, you under promise over deliver, right? So we well, don't it, it's hard. It's hard in this market not to look like the crazy guy when you start throwing out numbers like 10 trillion. Right. But we, we got to it through some good math and we thought about this number a lot and I put it into the name of the fund. So I obviously, uh, you know, had conviction about it. Didn't come from nowhere, but I did a panel uh, probably a year ago with Dan Moorhead and Mark Yusko. And they asked the same question. What's the value of the space, the whole digital asset space going to be worth 10 years from now? And I think Dan said 50 trillion. And I think Mark said 30. And I was sitting there thinking that this may be the first time in my career, well, certainly in this space, where I'm the bear, where <laughs> I'm the low guy. And I and I was originally going to say, oh, I'm just going to say 10 trillion, but I, I upped it to 20. I was I couldn't go above that. I think if that's we tokenize everything, if if we to, if, well, if the tokenization of everything right. happens and you include that in the total value of all those assets, yeah. I mean, then you're then you're talking about just like uh, no ceiling. Correct, correct. And I I do think that that is going to happen. All things of value. We didn't even talk about this, but you know now with Chat GPT oh, and I the talk about AI it. Yeah. kicker. I think blockchain has a huge uh, right. You're making you are making oh, a they're, crazy they're, they're look the two at me are right now. they were born for each other. It's like it should be an arranged marriage. It's, I know. Uh, yeah. I know. I know. I know. I know. So, and that just basically started like a few weeks ago. Literally, <laughs> so crazy. Right? I thought I thought the growth of uh, crypto is exponential, but what just using ChatGPT, we are. I, I, I'm a bull on AI. I'm not concerned about uh, the overlords. I'm yeah, sorry if I'm safe, if they hear me, uh, you know, but I think that the increases in productivity and the way that you'll be able to capture value using crypto uh, integrated with it is just going to send the us. ledger. I mean, look, the fact that you're going to actually be able to have it, you know, some of these images verified and unique. And I mean, it's the images that blow me away um that Dude, it's they're, they're like real. trump getting arrested Fauci, oh yeah you choose your side i don't care but yeah it's good it's i mean it's i'm not saying it's not scary like i, I how it plays into it's an election lot. i cannot uh even begin to fathom but i i right. do think that as far as human productivity and innovation it's the i think it's the biggest innovation we've ever seen i mean the internet yeah. i guess it's hard to argue so Dan, listen, I, I know we're up against time. So like, I'm hoping that A, we will not wait a year. Okay. Because you're welcome back anytime. Thank and you. B, I'm hoping that we force you to call your next fund 100T. And uh, <laughs> we're calling it 1RT, one round table partners uh, for a bunch of reasons. But I mean, in like five maybe years. Maybe after that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe after that. I don't know. We'll see. So where well, can everybody uh, follow you and keep up with you after this conversation? Well, I mean, on Twitter, DTAP cap. Um, and then, you know, LinkedIn, I've actually found to be sort of a, a pretty good community. And for adults, it's, it's yeah, yeah, Twitter, adults. not so yeah. adults. Yeah, for adults. <laughs> but thanks for having me. I, I, I enjoyed this today. This was great. Yeah, thank you. I was, uh, it was funny because as I was looking back on our last conversation, I realized 
just looking for it to see what it was. And it was one of our highest engaged and most popular oh. conversations we've actually oh, ever right? had. So here's All to right. this one uh, doing the same. Yeah, you're very right. popular. Let's hope. Let's <laughs> All right, hope. man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. And I really would like to do this again soon. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Dan. That's dope.